do you imagine if I ask you to picture a scientist? Someone with a lab coat, doing research into diseases? Would it include a teacher or a Girl Scout leader? Our next guest has done all this and more. Meet Anna Sambrana, advocate, comedic communicator, and above all, scientist. This is Pam here coming to you today from Atlanta, Georgia, where I am here with Anna Ines Sambrana. How are you, Anna? I'm fine, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. We've been trying to get you for a little while now. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, um, why don't we start off by explaining what the hell we're both doing here in Atlanta? Okay, so we are currently meeting for a, for a a public outreach committee for the American Society of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. <laughs> we are planning our year for for 2019, our activities. So the reason why we're both on this committee is we have a great love for science. So tell me how yours started. Well, my love for science well, started when, when I was a child, probably. <laughs> um, when I was wondering about the origin of life and how things happened. But probably science outreach was my middle of, of my graduate school uh, life when I was about uh, to finish my master's. And um, I found there was a way to connect to people, telling my science to people, which was fantastic yeah so tell us specifically about your your studies and your research because you you've actually covered a wide variety of things have you not yes indeed um, for my undergraduate cor uh, school I finished my my biochemistry bachelor's in Switzerland I was there for a year researching uh, in Zurich uh, I was in a plant biology uh, Institute, Plant Biotechnology, we researched uh, uh, transgenic rice. We were looking for rice that would be, would, would have uh, more iron than, yeah. than, uh, than the normal rice. So we did, um, uh, I had to check for, for special genes that were present in this rice. So on the subject of GMOs, clearly it's a very, very touchy subject for a lot of people because, and I think this is largely to do with how little people understand what GMOs are. So what's your feeling of how people respond and why you think they respond that way? Well, it, it is indeed a controversial topic because it, it implies that there's a change in in what we've always seen and with and and people are uh, concerned about um, biodiversity mm -hmm. so I and that's one of the topics that is always controlled when when there's a field experiment uh, with uh, transgenic plants mm -hmm. that it has to be really controlled that no seeds fly away to to the surroundings but mostly the, the project I was involved in, 
was uh, related to rice, which is one of the most used crops around the world, mostly in uh, developing countries. Mm -hmm. It's probably the main meal they have in the, during the day. And so the white rice don't pro doesn't provide uh, any nutrients, neither vitamins or anything, just starch. So there, there is a big problem in, uh, in, in these countries with anemia because mm -hmm. of iron deficiency. So as I saw the project, I was interested in, in using technology for the good. And that's, that was my main goal. I mean, I, I know that um, the controversy is uh, present, but I think when scientists are trying to do their best to make people's lives better, um, and in there's ethic involved, mm -hmm. then it's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it works out. So you actually answered one of David's questions, which he sent us, um, which was GMO food has been accused of many things, but is it being used to make us healthier? Yes, in this case, uh, we were, I was working in the same lab where um, golden rice was created. And that, that rice, uh, had a, um, a higher beta carotene mm -hmm. uh, um, concentration, mm. uh, which is also good for for different uh, deficiencies, nutri nutritional deficiencies. So I mean, our our lab was already working uh, towards this goal of mm -hmm. helping and uh, developing countries and and their. Um, well, their health, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the next question he asks is um, related to the topic of your master's studies, uh, which was diabetes. And he says GMOs and diabetes are very different things. Is there something about research in one that has helped you with the other one? Yes. I, I, my undergraduate uh, lab thesis was about biotechnology, but lots of molecular biology was involved. So I took my expertise to a new field and I, I took a new subject because I moved from Switzerland to Uruguay. So mm -hmm. that's, I had to start from scratch and, and I found a project that was interesting to me. And yeah, I mean, the good thing about being a scientist that we can we learn lots of different skills and tools that we can apply for different subjects, yeah. which is uh, fantastic. I, I don't feel that I am uh, I, I belong to a field. Mm -hmm. I, I am just a scientist researching things that I like. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of researching things that you like, tell us more about your diabetes work. I, I entered into a lab that was starting a new uh, research line, which involved uh, looking for clues about why diabetes affects the heart of patients. Mm -hmm. So we used, uh, in this case, I worked with mice, with, uh, male mice, yeah. and we uh, looked for different uh, indicators that they had uh, cardiac uh, illness mm -hmm. due to diabetes. 
and then we started when once we checked that they were diabetic and then they had different diabetes um how do you say um symptoms yes we we well we we checked what was going on in their hearts mm -hmm. and we we checked that in different levels the molecular level was to see if their heart had differences in their protein expressions that means the the components that need to be working right for the heart to pump so we checked if these components were present or were less present and that means that the heart cannot pump enough the the heart of diabetic mice start growing it's called oh. hypertrophy yep. and that means that the heart has to compensate the lower pumping uh, power yep. so to say so uh, we checked on in the molecular level and also we checked in the atomic level because we used a microscope that is called uh, atomic force microscope mm -hmm. and that that allowed us to check with different cells of um, cardiac cells mm -hmm. we checked their flexibility we could compare uh, if normal mice and diabetic mice had their same flexibility mm -hmm. Which, and the, well, the result was that uh, we had uh, less flexibility in uh, diabetic mice. Uh -huh. And I mean, that, that can explain uh, why they're pumping, like when you see the whole heart, the whole organ, you can explain why it's difficult for the heart to, to work properly. Mm -hmm. So is there... Uh how is this useful then to kind of develop therapeutics for people who have diabetes and these cardiac problems? Exactly. We, we were checking different uh, treatments that could work to reverse this effect. We, we are currently uh, about to publish some new uh, ideas of, of our results. But uh, we we check with we, we when we change their conditions and we uh, we treated them with uh, different components. We could see if their flexibility was was um, uh, was normal again or mm -hmm. it was uh, still uh, not so flexible yeah. at the cellular level, right? Mm -hmm. And so I mean, this could mean that people that are diabetic and that they are uh, using insulin of course people that uh, patients take insulin every day right mm -hmm. not our our mice yeah they course. didn't get they had an extreme diabetes but in in the human level we can say that maybe this comp these new treatments could help them to revert some problems that they have because even if they take insulin, their hearts suffer uh, because of the illness. Mm. Okay. So, having wrapped up your master's project, you are one of the few guests we have that doesn't have a PhD. So, Indeed. can you tell us why that is? Well, I finished my master's and then I was wondering if I wanted to do a PhD. Uh, Normally, it's the career path that uh, a researcher takes, but well, in my case, my my 
my broad interest has taken me to education right now, which doesn't mean that I want to do a PhD. I will. Uh, I, I have interests that interests that go also into research again, but mm -hmm. I have to explore different possibilities. Uh, but right now I'm I'm teaching. I'm a full-time teacher in a high school, so I'm 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 trying to use my knowledge to. Uh, provide to the, my students some critical thinking and some experience. Also, uh, I think as a role model for for children that never knew that we could uh, achieve different steps in in research. Mm -hmm. So this kind of brings up two different themes to me, and one is the expectation that once you go into science, you will end up becoming a professor and continuing to do research. And um, it'd be great if you could comment on that. I, uh, the situation in my country is kind of difficult right now. Uh, the, uh, grants for education are, are getting uh, fewer and fewer. I did apply for a PhD scholarship with that didn't, which I didn't get. Uh, but that's because of our national instability. So I, I do th think that I would like to do a PhD, but I think also that there are alternatives that are as valid as, as having a, a PI position. Mm -hmm. So I think we are scientists despite uh, everything. We are every, once you're a scientist, you always be, think like a scientist. Even if you're not uh, researching actively researching uh, bench speaking, yeah, and uh, all all the possibilities are valid because we are using our our scientific method for everything. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, this is something this is that's come up as a topic of discussion a lot on Twitter. I feel for sure. Yes, and what people consider a scientist and what they don't. Mm. And I think you you kind of you clearly have an idea of what that means. Yes, I I I, I have one idea, but I also think that uh, the situation is not not everybody that has a PhD will end up working in a lab for the rest of their lives. Some people opt for other options. Mm -hmm. I'm in between. I'm like, well, looking for experiences that may lead to a PhD or not. Um, yeah. I'm just looking around. Yeah, <laughs> and that's one thing we need to highlight is that that's okay. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, I think the problem right now is that there is, to some degree, a stigma attached to students who don't carry on within that traditional career path. The problem is the world is changing around us and not everybody can do that. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, another question I had tied to that was, as you say, you are now acting as a role model within a high school for what um, a scientist is. and. I feel like certainly even in the Western world, there are still plenty of people who are not getting um, the information or the the idea that they can they too can go into science. Of course. And do you feel like you're able to do this within a country as small as Uruguay, which is not a big player within science? Yes, I think uh, the moment students see that there's a woman that that research, 
and that she's like a normal person, uh, they, they say, oh, okay, so anybody can do science. Um, mostly when I talk to them and I say, okay, yes, this is how a scientist looks like, and they look at me and they, they, they just say, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, it's normal for them. Yeah. And uh, um, they, they refer to me as their scientist teacher, and they ask me how my life how how my life is in the lab, how my routines are, mm -hmm. and and I love to share with them what I do. Uh, of of course, they want to see the 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 fun parts of research, like oh how how do you get the hearts of the mice and stuff like that. But also, I always try to to let them know that they have to have information to make choices for in their lives. So if, if they decide something, they have to think critically and they have to have knowledge. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they, they, they try to infer something that has no logic and it's a little bit of philosophy. And, and okay, why, why are you saying that, that's, that it, something doesn't exist? How do you know? Yeah. You cannot say that in science. You can say that something didn't happen once or something did happen but you cannot say that something never happens. Uh -huh. So it's really tricky for them to start thinking like that because it's so e easy to generalize and from one fact end up saying, oh, everything is like this. No, you know that something is like this for a moment in these conditions. So I always bring them back to the reasoning that uh, life can have science logic, even if you're not a scientist. Mm -hmm. and. They can be the best carpenter in the world, but they take decisions based in facts. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't, I actually, I would love them to be scientists, mm -hmm. but I don't want them to follow one path. Yeah. It's their life path, their choice. Yep. And I think this brings in the broader topic of science literacy, which is also very. Um, at the forefront of people's minds and it's not just in the US although that's where I'm getting most of the experience um, and that feels like a, a very natural way to bring science into people's everyday lives exactly uh, in, in particular I also do outreach mm -hmm. so I make a bit of my outreach experience in my teaching experience my students are all in a in a special neighborhood that is uh, is a very poor neighborhood in my city, so they are actually I want them to have their best options uh, in life despite their situation. Mm -hmm. So they, they will have the opportunity to choose. Uh, I will try to to make them believe that, and science literacy helps with that also humanities and also music and arts. Yeah. I don't say that science is the only way, but I see I see that there's some cow uh, problem when uh, education doesn't reinforce science. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, touching on the subject of your outreach, there is, I'm not sure how you pack all of this into your daily life because you do more than one thing for outreach. So you're part of this committee for the ASBMB. You are part of a collective called 
Bardo Científico, which is absolutely awesome. Um, you are a Girl Scout leader. You've done n number of things. Uh, how do you find time for that, and why do you do it? <laughs> I think one one thing comes with the other. I wouldn't be a scientist if I wasn't a scout. Uh, I think we we as scouts think in terms of projects, short-term projects, long-term projects, life projects, and that's also a bit how scientists think. We we plan something, we do it, then we we react up, uh, upon what happens, and mm -hmm. we change our plans, and and we work in groups. And so that's how scouts work. Yeah. And I was a leader since I was 20 years, not so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and teaching, um, teaching came normally for, to me because uh, being a scout leader helped me with my teaching skills. And being a scout helped me with my outreach skills. Mm -hmm. So I cannot say I do anything partially. Everything comes together and I just divide my day in different tasks. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Yes, uh, um, Bardo came when uh, I think I, I was, yes, in the, my third year of my master's or something like that. I was about to quit my master's because of some family events that they were really, really hard to cope with. But then I found that there was a way to fall in love with science again. Uh -huh. And I took a, a workshop for three days to learn how to do science outreach through scientific monologues. Mm -hmm. And I loved the idea and we formed a small group, which we are still working. Uh, after three years, we are friends now. Mm -hmm. But at first, we were just people that liked the same things. Yep. And we've had the chance to grow together as a group. Uh, we do it as a volunteering experience. I also had the chance to go to other countries to do science monologues. And I love traveling, <laughs> as you see. Yep. <laughs> so, and actually, it's thanks to Bardo that I ended up here because one of the committee members liked my my experience and invited me to write an article about Bardo. Uh -huh. And then they invited me to be part of the committee. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing leads to the other. You never know when you do something, it, it can take you to places like yeah. physically like literally here <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so we should probably explain that Bardo Científico is based on so the literal translation is the scientific bard yes so it's based on Shakespeare as a, a speaker I guess so in the forming ideas and giving talks and so on exactly we, we often say that uh, as the English bards, we go from town to town telling stories, but mm -hmm. our stories are science stories. And also there's a twist, because in Spanish, in Uruguayan Spanish, bardo is also like a big party, ah. like a messy, messy party with lots of messy things. Uh -huh. <laughs> so when, when there's a, a really fun party, you say, oh, this, is, this can be a bardo. So it's a... A double, double um, meaning. Double meaning. I yeah. like that. I like that. And we were so David and I were very lucky to attend in Uruguay at your first 
Festival of Monologues. Yes, last year. Yeah. So tell us how that came about. Well, that that's another fun story. Uh, a friend of ours, one of the m members, went to Chile to present our one of her monologues for a competition, and she won the competition. Mm -hmm. And they and the in, uh, how, how do you say El Banco Interamericano de Desarrollo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they provided us with uh, some money mm -hmm. because of the price, and with that money we could we we did this festival. We can, we, we had the chance to invite people, monologists from Colombia, Paraguay, and Argentina, mm -hmm. and we had this really nice venue with people from from Montevideo to watch what we do, and also it was filmed and that, that content is online, in Spanish, but mm -hmm. online. And that was thanks to, to that prize that she won one year before. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> so one of the things I really love about this is the idea that science communication is not one thing. I think traditionally maybe people thought it was writing articles, writing blogs and so on, and now it seems to be so much more. Yes, there, there are so many possibilities. There are people doing uh, uh, I don't know, art and uh, any kind of art that you can imagine that and even designers are making really good infographics mm -hmm. that can you can take it to any any institution and show it to anyone and, and they can understand because it's nice and it's visually attractive mm -hmm. there's not just one way of showing what science is yeah yeah absolutely and that's it's absolutely necessary because there's not just one audience that you're trying to relate the science to exactly it's uh, sometimes uh, the the vision of scientists is like we are far away from society mm -hmm. but we are among everyone we are in the bus we are in every restaurant we are everywhere yeah. You just don't know we are scientists. Yeah, we're in a sports <laughs> bar right now. Like people have no idea what we're go doing here with two microphones. Yeah, talking about molecular biology. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so you also recently became part of a UNESCO committee, right? Well, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, the. Um, let me explain this. The, there's an organization for women in the developing countries that include South America, but also Africa, Asia. And we are united by the TUAS, the third third world uh, association? association for science. <laughs> you can edit this later, <laughs> my memory. So anyways, we are um, coordinated by this organization that belongs to UNESCO. So it's a, like a different, different organizations that come together. And recently, the Uruguayan scientists gathered to make a Uruguayan chapter for what we call the, the OST. OST. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and all, the sci all the scientists happen to be women. Mm -hmm. And they voted for the, their president, their vice president, secretary, and treasurer. And I ended up being the treasurer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that happened. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> no, nobody. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing that we don't have any money, so that makes my task very easy. 
at the moment, at the moment we are starting to create a chapter. We we are uh, ending our last uh, forms. We have to make it official. I think by the end of the year or maybe next year, it'll be a thing. It will be yeah. a good. We'll be uh, having a party. You are invited. Yay! <laughs> yes, and thanks to that, I I've been invited to to participate in a congress uh, in in Panama tomorrow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, what is the ultimate goal of this particular association? It provides fellowships for women scientists that are um, that can apply for uh, PhD uh, studies, uh, even uh, I think the age limit is 40, which is pretty good because in most countries uh, after 30 years it's difficult to get a scholarship, mm -hmm. but in this case it's up to 40 years. Then also internships yep. and uh, for, for career development they offer training and um, also the um, uh, partnerships or collaboration between countries south south mm -hmm. so it, it i think the the main goal is to unite all the developing countries and show what they do the science they uh, what they research but also give them some extra input because of the uh, difficulties they face mm -hmm. So we had a question from Carolina from Instagram and she asks, what do you think about leadership from women in science and is it possible? Well, of course it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, any woman that wants to uh, accomplish her goals can become a leader because she leads to the way to others. Mm -hmm. And it's a, again, it's a role model, an example and we we are not created from 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 uh, from from any. We are just a chain of people helping each other. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. And I don't think I am a scientist because I am very smart. I think I'm a scientist because I got really good opportunities that I took, and I have a family that supported me. And I had a, 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 a community that helped me to be where I am now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's my my goal to give this uh, help to others. Mm -hmm. So leadership is looking at the other and saying, "Do you need any help? What what can we do to to help you go forward with your goals?" Mm -hmm. I think that's it. And 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 women are really good at it. Right. Uh, the problem is there's well the, the glass ceiling, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I mean we are working uh, to to break that glass ceiling to make more women to decision makers, to give more voices to underrepresented uh, minorities. Mm -hmm. I mean it's not just women, and so we we have to all work together to make this a better world. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course. Women have historically we have had um, different roles in society, and they are expiring. Yeah, one woman at a time, right? It's not one thing that will happen from one day to the other, but we we can help to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think the difficulty is that there seems to be 
plenty of institutional bias still towards yeah. um, uh, the the role of women in particular specifically in particular disciplines of science I think um, how do you think that we can try and address that because I mean you you still have a lot of within women within biomedical sciences for yes. example but within physics what do you think the barriers are for women to get ahead well I, I can speak from my uh, my fellow scientists in Uruguay they are not so many physicists that happen to be women mm -hmm. and they are all the time um, they have a, a strong they are not so many but they really work hard to to make their voices heard mm -hmm. and they wrote articles and they provide information to the media to show what the difference is because in a in, in so many panels there are panels mm -hmm. and in so many um, how do you say um, juries they are just men, so they they are saying, okay, our voices have to be heard, right? And of course, as many times, uh, the the how do you say, the advocacy comes from women mm -hmm. because, well, <laughs> this thing happened. <laughs> so because we feel the pain. Yes, but also so many women have been silenced, like purposefully silenced in uh, along along the time. Like for instance, now there are movies about scientists that developed programs or algorithms or or made the calculation to take the humans to the moon. Yep. And or the first calculator and so many inventions that were created by women and and when they find out they are amazed and why do we open history books and there are just men in mm -hmm. every history book? That's some of the things I tell to my students. Yeah. <laughs> then they end up asking me like every once in a while they tell me but this invention was created by a woman they ask me actively ask me about it because they changed their mind mm -hmm. now they see that it's possible that a woman can create things in science and technology yeah and this is one of the problems that comes about from a portrayal of scientists is and we address this in a podcast with uh, a speaker who works with police and racial bias. It's this yes. idea of implicit bias. Yes. You're bombarded with a particular image and therefore as a result over time you instantly think of... So I, I was listening to a podcast recently and the person who was giving a talk said, um, picture in your mind a member of the military. And instantly I thought of a man. A man. Like it's, it's so hard to shake yes. it off. Yes, there, there, there was a short movie made by Spanish uh, science advocates. They recorded children looking at uniforms. You saw it? I think so. And they, they showed a pilot uniform, a, a surgeon uniform, many or a, a firefighter uniform. And they said, okay, tell me the story about this person, the name and everything. So they were, the stories were like, man, his name is... Robert, his name mm -hmm. is Edward, he's really strong and brave. And then they, the, the people that were the owners of these uniforms entered the room and showed their faces. And it was like, oh, they are all women. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it, the, the image is really what we see each, uh, each day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
Cool. So what's next for you with regards to, oh, I guess you have your trip to Panama. Yes, tomorrow. <laughs> yes, so I guess on that note, we should probably say thank you very much for speaking to us today because <laughs> you clearly have a very busy timetable to adhere to. Um, and yeah, we very much appreciate your, your insight. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure for me to share science stories with everyone. So goodbye. Fantastic. <laughs>